this is this probably sounds like a stale refrain, but you know, Canada uh, houses so many a huge portion, I think, like a majority of the world's mining companies, uh, and they come to Canada specifically because our our regulations are lax. Oh, there's the doorbell. Are you expecting something? Uh, so, excuse this interruption. While the rest of the world is fighting war, Adam is receiving packages from Amazon. No, they're not from Amazon. <laughs> delivered directly to his door. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. Should we, do you want to ask me about the Macarena? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, if I play it, it'll record into the... But we can, we can just... We can just put it in after, I think. Did you actually want me to ask you about the Macarena? Yeah, we could always use that as an intro. Just the same thing that you had, had mentioned to me before. Hey, you know that song, The Macarena? Uh, yeah, I've heard of it before. So, what did I say? Sometimes it helps me relax. I find it incredibly relaxing. I did not say that. You didn't say that? Sometimes I listen to it. It helps me relax. Mm, that's what you said. Hey, you know that song, The Macarena? I've, I've heard of it, yeah. Sometimes I listen to it. It helps me relax. Should we start with that? But didn't you also have another intro? Yeah. Uh, hello and welcome to the uh, to be named John and Adam podcast. Uh, this is episode one, the pilot. I am John. I am here with Adam. Hey guys. Who is slightly more left leaning than I am, but that doesn't prevent us from being very good friends. Uh, so I believe <clears throat> the aim of this podcast has two goals. Uh, one shall be just a conversation on uh, things to be determined, and the other part of that will be more of an ASMR podcast. So the the times where Adam is speaking, just sit back close your eyes relax as he has a significantly sexier voice than i hello adam hello <laughs> also we should agree on the name of the podcast yeah, yeah. i liked no no no. i like your john adam podcast yeah is it the john adam podcast i don't know because i kind of like the idea of john adam's podcast but then it might get mixed up with uh, john adam himself who was the second president of the united states i don't i don't think that's a terrible mix-up i feel like people will figure it out that yeah that if we just separate john adam but then the john adam podcast it's like if your last name was lamborghini right people wouldn't be like this podcast sucks <laughs> right right <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the John Adam podcast could probably work out, but I really do like yours of last names. Adam has written on a whiteboard our last names, and so it would be pronounced... You know better than No, I you say my last name brilliantly. Oh, well, why don't you say mine? And <laughs> uh, It would be the Spilka. And Marie podcast. Oh, I like it. I like it. All right, well, something to come back to. Um, anyway, happy to be here. It's really nice. Uh, it's a Monday afternoon. It's February 29th. Um <laughs> And it's interesting, the timing of this, uh, it's the first time, I mean, Adam's appeared on podcasts before. This this whole idea was really kind of uh, pushed by my girlfriend as we were walking. Uh, she, she took me outside to get some fresh air because as most people right now are working from home uh, and said, hey, why don't you kind of do something else? I had spent the day reading the news because the day of this walk also happened to be the day of, of Russia's invasion into Ukraine, which is now another big world event. One of the things that really frustrates me, I was on Facebook this morning, and it's all the memes and the us versus them that comes out for everything. So for example, like regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, I, like just the way you can make something out of nothing. Like I saw an image of a bunch of sort of troll faces with uh, with the Ukraine flag and then a QR code on the forehead. And I can understand the reasoning maybe behind that for like the vaccine passports and things like that. But when it comes to like a war on that level, I just find it really sad. It brings up an interesting point of like, are we really starting a war in 2022, you know, in a world where we seem to be living kind of in the best period to be alive when it comes to technology, comfort. There's sort of a disconnect, I think. Like in a very globalized world, there's still a disconnect between us here in the West who are just like on Reddit like and other people our age over there who are actually like now being uh, drafted into war. And can you explain, yeah, just that meme with the with the bark, the QR codes on the forehead? Yeah. What does that refer to? Yeah, uh, it was three panels and the first one was kind of like a Black Lives Matter fist with like the Biden-Harris administration. Number two was a like QR code on everyone with like a Vax Pass telephone in their hands. And the third one was a QR code on their foreheads with like a Ukrainian flag on the side. And I think it came from a source where a bunch of comments underneath as well were very like, yeah, Ukraine deserves this. Like uh, they don't understand that it's like the cesspool of corruption in Europe. Uh, Russia is fair and it's sort of attacks on that and things like that, which 
I find fascinating because it sounds like a lot of arguments from people who don't really know uh, Putin quite well. Um, so, yeah, with this meme you're talking about, it's just comparing um, Ukraine's plight, this country that's being invaded, to other causes that uh, that these, this group of people have dismissed or are able to ridicule. Yeah, it's, I think it's more of like a layering of like yet another event that like pushes this global agenda. Like people have tied it to the Great Reset, to this sort of like canon Illuminati kind of thing for everything. Like they're saying that everything in every sense, like it's another uh, way to sort of program us into listening, into accepting war, into into accepting sanctions against against Russia or some sort of economic repercussions from that. Yeah. Um, so you brought up r- right at the beginning, you're like, okay, what's upsetting here is just the level of, of partisanship where it's us versus them. And we're, we're not really going to uh, find any common ground because the harder you push, the, the stronger your point is, the more they have to then defend it. Uh, there There is really no bridge uh, upon which you can like meet people along the way. Yeah, yeah, and it's yet another event. Like, I mean, there's other memes uh, where it's almost like a, a sort of victim culture where it's like, oh, here we go, another historic event I was hoping to not live any. You know, it's a very millennial sort of meme. Like, oh, we went, we went through 9-11, through COVID, now this Russian war. You know, when I was going over everything, uh, it sounded much better in my head in preparation for that. So you know what, let's start off with a simple question. Uh, Adam, did you do your Wordle today? No, I haven't. Uh, I actually opened it, or I got on my phone, and I was like, no, uh, this takes too much energy early in the morning, Okay. Uh, and I'd rather use that energy for productive things. And I was like, okay, well, I was, I made that decision because I was like, I've got a limited amount of like clear concentration to... Yeah. <laughs> so you don't know what the word of the day is? Yeah, please don't. Spoil okay, well, that's too bad, because I was hoping that instead of saying today's date, we could just say the wordle of the day, and then people could, could associate that with the date you know instead of using the gregorian calendar we can maybe go with wordle it's very uh new age illuminati of you but could we not just say yesterday's wordle make it a little more dystopian it was chant um i'm gonna bring it back to the partisanship okay there are lots of people who write about partisanship uh and try to solve this issue um, and, you know, sometimes it's just people rooting for their team and they're like, oh, yeah, your team sucks. My team's better. And like if, if for whatever reason your team is like eliminated before the first round, um, you don't even have to concede it. You're just like, oh, well, we're going to be better next year. So there's at that like with, with sports, for example, there is never any concession necessary. You can always be convinced that your team is the best team and, and that external factors are responsible for you not winning the cup. Yeah, no, it's it's actually really funny. I wanted to save that for another podcast. I had written myself a post-it note talking about athletes and sort of the primitive or primal uh, sort of parallels, I guess, with um, with Vikings. And it came up because because uh, yesterday we were watching the show Vikings and it was very interesting where it's like, they got after one of us, we're going to get them back. And that's their entire livelihood. And maybe somewhere there is a obviously a parallel with war and 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 different nations and stuff but uh it's so interesting because i think of brendan gallagher do you know who brendan gallagher is no okay so he's a, he's a player on montreal and and a lot of oh of course yes a lot of people say he's kind of past his prime but but he he got a big contract recently and it was almost like our old gm was was almost uh, uh giving him a reward for all the you know the blood sweat and tears he's given the team and for me when i see him play it's so interesting because his jaw has been broken he bickers a lot and and sometimes you'll hear like hockey players on the ice and they're bickering and they're like oh, well, I have three cups, what do you have? And that's sort of what they use as leverage, but it's like three Stanley Cups. It's this infinite loop every year someone new gets a Stanley Cup, but it's sort of what their entire identity is built off of. So it's like, oh, I have three Stanley Cups, and then the other guy just shuts up because you can't beat that. Because in their scope of what is important in reality, it's that. Like, they live on the rink, and it and it's a game, but there's something so primal about it of, like, you are going to continue fighting this never-ending fight, if you will, uh, to be rewarded or recognized as the best at that, and then you do it again, and you do it for like 20 years if you're lucky, and then you go into something else, and then we eventually just all die. And and people are going to be stoked about that. I'm stoked about that. Like, I love watching it. For me, it's an escapism, but it's so interesting. There are definitely these like sort of primitive things that have stayed with us forever. I know it used to be much more serious back in the Mayan days, you know, they had the game and if you lost, you were a sacrifice to the gods. And so it's so easy to get into that mindset. Like even on Thursday with like the launch or the idea of maybe starting to record a podcast, 
uh, it came with this idea where here I am refreshing the New York Times, who also makes Wordle, by the way. And it was kind of a live feed of what's going on with the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. I was trying to be careful to not have it be so sensationalized. And another person who was quite close to me was asking me for my opinion on them because they have a very like pro-Russian Facebook. But it's very quick to go from one side or another and the sensationalism and all that stuff. And I feel like we've lost quite an objective view of it. There was one image, just to, to finish on objectivity, of a bunch of Ukraine guys our age um, who were signing up for the war that day. And I was thinking, man, when 2022 started, like you would have no idea. Maybe you had inklings of it, because I guess the conflict had been growing for a long time, but for your entire life to suddenly turn, you know, there was a story that was presented of a woman who just gave a big hug to her dog and then just got in the car and just left Kiev. And that's it. And that dog is just there to fend for itself. Another friend who was like, but I wouldn't even sign up for the army. Like, I wouldn't support this kind of stuff. And the only sort of metaphor I could find from the safety of my own home is like, let's say that my neighbors suddenly started breaking the wall that separates our apartments. Like, I mean, at some point, like, let's say I lived there my entire life. Like, at some point, you have to fight back, right? Because you can flee, and then they'll continue breaking the other walls of all the other apartments. And then at what point, like, what have you, what have you done? Well, that's a bit of a philosophical question, which is, is dangerous ground for a podcast this early in the morning. Mm -hmm. But um, if like a, if, you know, an overwhelming army is coming to, to, I guess, take control of your country, set up a, a puppet government or, or maybe it just wants certain provinces to secede. So like I, I, it's not clear why Russia uh, didn't just annex those two provinces, because from what I understand it, their army is uh, is much larger than Ukraine's. Um, so, and then the, the president of Ukraine has decided, okay, we're going to fight back, but he's really just, uh, condemning anyone who's willing to death. And, you know, probably a lot of people will survive it, but, but, uh, lots of Ukrainians have died and we have to ask, like, is that the right course of action? Yeah. And I also think like his perspective on what the right course of action is quite different than what we, like everyone grows up with a very certain worldview. And, uh, and I had watched a couple documentaries recently to sort of like be up to date with everything that's going on. And one documentary came out on February 23rd called the Putin, the, the, the new SAR, I believe it's called. And in that it gives great insight into who the person is. And, and I know it's a cliche, but sometimes the cliche is what you go to, but it's very Hitler-esque. And there's certain moments that seem parallel in that, like here there's this, there's this first thing, oh, we're going to take over Ukraine or this regions of Ukraine because there's a lot of pro-Russia people. They're the source of all this corruption, blah, blah, blah. And then the other nations are like, okay, like we're not going to do anything like you can take Ukraine. And then you're just sort of crossing your fingers. But then past that, I think it's important to look at the man himself. Uh, and so it does kind of remind me a little bit of like the Munich agreement where they said, okay, you guys can take this part of Czechoslovakia at the time, like the, the Sudetenland. And they had hoped it was it. And Hitler is like, well, no, I'm going to keep going. And then at one point, it's like the old quote of like, first they came for these people, then they came yeah. for these people, and then they came for me. And it's at which point do you get to the third part? And, and when I look at this and the way BBC had presented Putin, uh, he's so addicted or there's no other way to live his life other than having the max power possible that when I see like it's it's not. I don't see it as these little things he said about Ukraine. When you look at his speeches, it looks like it's a little carrot dangling that says, come here, West, who he refers to as the empire of lies. Like, come play, because I have more power than you, and I have nothing to lose. You, ha you have to assume that this was, this was premeditated. They had some objectives. When, he's, when he goes making threats like, oh, if the West intervenes, we're going we're gonna to fire some nukes. Yeah. Like, clearly, he's got an objective that he wants to attain. Yeah, I really do think it's, it's uh, baiting the West into some kind of war, some sort of muscle flex. We had talked about it very quickly this weekend, uh, and uh, you don't believe that World War III will happen. No, uh, so, so that's it. I think that there's a deterrent uh, given Russia's might and Russia's nuclear capabilities and the fact that like it's, it is not a democracy, so there's less accountability and the the army the rulers might be willing to take actions that won't be to the benefit of their population uh so yeah you're talking about just the stock market that's going to affect i mean the the rich people definitely but it's going to affect uh the, the citizens of russia quite a bit as well well we see an immediate effect like just on driving here this morning if you look at gas prices you know it spiked significantly uh which is to be expected and i i don't think it maybe has sunk in for like how it affects us in our wallets uh, so maybe that's like an early sign, you know, of, of other things that will come. But I, I made the comparison to you earlier when the U.S. 
uh, invaded Iraq or invaded Afghanistan, uh, Russia wasn't like, all right, like get the hell out of here. Yeah. yeah. So, so with that in mind, like if just to expand on the comparison, if the U.S. wanted to invade Mexico, who would uh, show up and be like, all right, we're going to join the Mexicans in defending its sovereignty? You, you made the comparison to the Second World War. If Russia uh, started attacking like a country that wasn't Russian speaking, that wasn't neighboring and that was more Western, uh, then, you know, we might have to prepare for some serious war and yeah. and uh but Russia doesn't seem to be really against war. You know, I had seen that, like, I think Putin said he was willing to sacrifice 50,000 of his own troops, which shows me it doesn't, it's not really a nationalistic thing, unless the identity of Russia, and actually the documentary talks about this as well, but unless the identity of Russia and the identity of Putin is hand in hand. Uh, but they were, like, bringing uh, these, like, mobile... Uh, crematoriums. Crematoriums uh, to follow the army as it was going in. And so I don't know if it's really just chaos... For chaos's sake, is it really a goal of expanding land? He was a former KGB officer. Is it about going back to these times? The other idea is like it's so fascinatingly foreign for us to even think that this is possible in today's day and age. Like it's 2022. Yeah. You know. Well, so just before that, I saw um, I saw an article that was, I guess, trying to nuance the the invasion, not defending it by any means, but nuancing it and pointing to, as is often the case, what culpability we have uh, that is similar to that that we're criticizing. So we, we should all be criticizing uh, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. However, there are, other, there are factors kind of that might legitimize Russia's fear of the West, uh, not that those justify uh, an invasion. And so something that I saw written out was recalling the amount of civilian death and, and military death in Russia during the Second World War and explaining that like Russians remember this quite well. And I wondered about this idea of a country having a memory. You know, are Russia's leaders correct in fearing encroachment from the West? There's a lot of geopolitics to learn about here, but I think a democratic Russia would pursue a very different approach to the West, history notwithstanding. Yeah, it's a particular... It's a particular mindset, I think, over there as well. Like, you know, it's a state-run media, right? And there is a lot of propaganda. I mean, there's propaganda in the West as well. It's alive and well. Uh, but there's a lot of propaganda as well. And it, it is a... I, I'm curious, like, it is a very particular mindset. Uh, but if you're looking at, like, kind of what's happening right now, a lot of Russians are protesting this. Like, I think in general, you know, there's... Like, for the longest time, Ukraine is a brotherly nation to Russia. Uh, and a lot of the citizens themselves are protesting this. And so I, I do feel it's more about the man himself. Like, one last big flex. Because I, I had a, a point, a, a tangent, based on that. Yes. Um, so I've also noticed that uh, people of an older generation will often... Uh, find some justification that doesn't seem sound to me about, oh, there's nothing to worry about. And if I can bring it over to climate change, um, at work not long ago, I was actually pulled over for like a two-hour presentation about climate change. I okay. thought this was awesome because you hear about it so much, but like being on the clock and learning about it in detail was something special. Um, and there's a, a worry, worrisome piece about how there are some effects uh, or some processes that uh, are quite forgiving and the specific example here was the melting of the ice sheets where it builds up during the cold months and it heats up and melts during the warm months but eventually uh, you get to the point where there is no more ice and at that point the surface absorbs light energy far better than uh, than the snow did um, and then we're kind of in trouble because all of a sudden even though this process has been going on for years all of a sudden things heat up even faster based on the absorption of whatever rock is underneath so from that i got the idea that people's lived experience even though it's you know decades and decades of seeing oh you know it's going to freeze again during the winter you can get to a point where suddenly um the dial has been turned up and it doesn't freeze anymore and your lived experience is isn't of value the idea of like uh, ignorance is bliss versus realism but then you ask yourself the question, like, is realism like pessimism because it's all just kind of negative in the end? I, I do find that there's sort of like a detached reality as well. Like, oh, these things will only ever happen to someone else. I mean, there's a great movie coming out this year, I think for the Oscars called Belfast. And you have children playing and everything. And all of a sudden, 
you know, there's like a group of armed men that kind of come through the streets and really just instantly change the reality of what it is. And it does bring up a good question to like human nature in general with how adaptable are we? How quickly do we accept our new reality? I mean, globally, we just did it two years ago with COVID. You know, I was definitely still living in ignorance at the time being like, oh, this will never affect us. And within months, like it changed everything, you know, and we've I guess we've become used to it. We've sort of normalized it. People say, oh, I can't wait to go back to to normal or to how things were. Uh, But it is interesting, like, how quickly are you willing to sort of take off the ignorance sunglasses and be like, oh, like, this does now affect me. This really is an issue. So climate change for sure is one. I mean, like, once again, looking at the photo of those those Ukrainian men, like, signing up for, like, how quickly your year kind of changes. Yeah, I like your, this question, which I I think is a, (laughs) <laughs> is one that I want to criticize of is realism, pessimism. And I find um, I'm very, I guess, think that we should be bringing the best uh, solutions to all the problems of the world and we should be acknowledging those and kind of engaging with these problems. And then labels that are thrown sometimes is, oh, you're you're overly, uh, I don't know, optimistic or pessimistic. Or naive. Or, yeah, naive is, is, is a good one. Um, and I think there's, I think that you said it well, is realism optimism or pessimism Um, I think it's the people who kind of refuse to engage who are the most pessimistic and by kind of bringing solutions to things or or recognizing problems out there, uh, that actually requires tremendous humility. Mm -hmm. uh, And then you're setting yourself up to be labeled uh, naive or even, you know, ineffective at all these things. The dismissing them, I think, is is one of the biggest problems out there. I mean... Yeah, I do feel like the majority of us are sort of riding on this hope that, you know, there's going to be a select few individuals who are going to be criticized, but it's like, it's thanks to them that we can sort of like get out of some of these issues. You know, we're sort of like waiting for a hero to emerge from every moment. Even let's let's bring it to COVID for a second. Everyone, I remember pre-vaccine days, everyone's like, this will stop once we have the vaccine, we'll have the vaccine, yay. Like now we have a hero, this person has saved us. And then people... People do say as well, like, oh, humanity is getting smarter. Look at all of the things we have. But if you look at it, like, it's really thanks to a handful of organizations or people that have sort of advanced. And we all rely and are dependent on that technology. There was a funny thing uh, this Christmas. I was flying back from Portugal, and and now TAP Airlines uh, offers Wi-Fi on the plane. And in their advertisement, they're like, hey, please don't get upset. If it lags a little bit, the only reason we have Wi-Fi here is because we're shooting it up to the satellite that is like shooting it back to us and we're moving at this speed. So essentially, please just chill if your Wi-Fi is kind of slow. But we take that for granted and we are sort of riding the backs of these people who see the future optimistically because I do find a lot of people, myself included, tends to see it pessimistically when you look outside and you're like, oh, here we go again, another virus, another problem, more racism, more homophobia, more like all of these problems that we're kind of living to and quickly sort of normalizing to the best we can, trying to protect the people we care about. I bring up like the motherly instinct as well, being like, hey, mom, like World War Three is coming. And she, you know, the, my parents come from a generation that didn't experience war. It was kind of this in between. And and I mean, what's what is saying that that's not going to happen for us just because we you know, because as a society, we've grown past that or like now peace is the is the status quo. I, I remember when I was a kid in social studies class, I would be reading these history books and just like, like really wondering, like I have this vivid memory of being like, huh, I wonder if this is going to happen to me one day when I grow up, you know, where like people of my time will be in these photos that then future generations will read about. And maybe that's where the term this too shall pass, you know, because the planet has gone through some very horrific moments but we're still here today, like drinking coffee, having some sweet technology set up, like really having a comfortable life. And, and and I don't know if we're taking it for granted. I don't think everybody does, but I think it's a strange reality check. And I think it's much more difficult, you know, for people to take off the sort of glasses of like, hey, this is our reality now. And it's not going to be easy to get through, whether it's climate change or war or a virus or, or whatnot. I like your your saying there. This too shall pass. You haven't mentioned that uh, before, because um, I think if you if you just analyzing analyze it right up front, there's no guarantee that uh, that things will get better. But we know that as humans, we're always striving to make things better. So even though you know there can be a hundred years of darkness uh, throughout those hundred years, people are suffering. People are looking to make things better, and uh, you know 
sometimes they succeed. But I want to, I, and I also liked your anecdote there about the people complaining about the Wi-Fi lagging yeah. on the plane. Uh, I think that makes the podcast far more interesting than things like like bringing it back to how people who try to bring solutions to problems out there are often dismissed or ridiculed or mocked. Yeah. Uh, so here's perhaps an unpopular kind of um, suggestion, but often when there are political depressions, if you will, the left is brought back in to you know sort things out for us. So after the Bush years, uh, Obama was elected. After the Harper years, which also included many recessions, uh, Trudeau was brought back in and he's like, hey, solve our problems for us. After the kind of price of oil dropped to rock bottom uh, in Alberta, uh, Rachel Notley's NDP was voted in. And in all three of these cases, the people who are brought in are then criticized and deemed responsible for the initial problem that they were brought in to fix. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and as much as I'm not a fan of politicians, it's so much more like it's so much easier for me to just say that, like while chilling at home playing PlayStation, and be like, oh, they're all corrupt, but not necessarily kind of doing anything about it. But it's true that like it takes a lot to to be in that position and to sort of like pick up the sinking ship it's criticism all around and even trudeau now it's criticism all around but like just the relief i felt i think it was also in 2015 when harper was voted out uh okay so clearly i've just uh, revealed my political <laughs> political viewpoint but uh there's a certain relief but then yes now there's so many things that he's doing that i completely disagree with and so it's like what happens is there like this like little taste of power and so you change things or will politics just always be politics i know a lot of people like young people who join politics and you like have this glimmer of hope. You're like, hey, yes, change is possible. Change will happen. You sort of get swept up by this giant system and a lot of people just leave. You know, it's like, no, I can't be in this monster that is politics. No, it, it is a horrible beast. But I think when people say, oh, politicians are corrupt, I think that's, you know, they, they pat themselves on the back for saying the most obvious thing. And there are so many shades of corruption uh, and we should be specific in, in terms of describing what's wrong and who it's coming from. Mm-hmm. But the level of heroism to like be able to stand up and call that out, like just bringing it to Russia for half a second in that documentary, people have tried to speak out about it. Like I don't think Putin's Russia represents the people of Russia. Like when I look in there, like people, like we have way more in common than we think we do. And there's people protesting against that. There's other people with the courage of running up against him. You see the same thing in Nicaragua. I think it's um, Ortega. Ortega, yeah, in Nicaragua. And so you see these sort of two dictator states and people still have the courage or the audacity to run up against it and risk, really risk their lives doing so. The magnitude of heroism necessary to actually change something like that, I mean, that's on Mandela levels, I think. Well, so I, I actually want to talk about this this criticism of, of politicians. You know, some, they're, they're elected, we, we expect them to do good, and then turns out, uh, you know, they're just as corrupt as everyone else. In Russia, uh, I'll mispronounce his name, but there's a figure named Alexei Navalny, yeah. who's heavily criticized Putin. He was... He was the guy who was poisoned. He managed to escape with his life to Germany. He eventually went back to Russia and he was arrested right away on charges that are, you know, they're like corruption bribes and stuff. I was surprised. And actually, one more thing that he managed to do is in Russia, it seems that the lower level elections, uh, people can vote for whoever they want. But it seems like they kind of rig them uh, in that they run all sorts of candidates that no one's ever heard of. And then they heavily fund the, the establishment candidates. So the the outcome is a predictable one and navalny uh in many areas would uh, rally people towards voting for one of these uh, obscure candidates that no one even knew but who wasn't actually a member of the establishment mm-hmm. um and I, I guess that pissed off the the putin team yeah but so the the reason i bring him up is because there was a left-leaning article here in the west that was printed about how a lot, uh, navalny is not the savior of russians and they point to the fact that he is a um a xenophobe he has said horrible things about russian minorities so you're like hey here's a guy who's actually standing up to putin but he and you know this he would probably be a better alternative uh but he has all these faults and then you wonder like how early is it to point out his faults because he he may i don't know if corrupt is the right word but he is not a good guy if you know in some world he were to be the leader of the ruler of russia he would have to be a power broker just as putin is yeah. Uh, so he is sure to be corrupt. I don't know. Is there that sort of like perfect candidate? And is there hope to just like have a reversal of the system entirely? Or are we all just kind of... Well, here, here I'll insert my own thoughts on this topic. But I think the first step is really we should figure out what's important to us before we start kind of 
looking at candidates the same way we would look at, uh, you know, a, a sporting game. Yeah. On that point, I have heard that the best opportunity for change is at the local level, like with, within communities, like to start implementing change just within your sort of community, like help unify people a little bit more because it's really frustrating. And I think it's one of the fallouts of COVID and working from home is like, we are just communicating via the internet, being constantly bombarded by different influences. It's that classic divide and conquer. And there's a bunch of division. I'm grateful to be able to talk to you about it because when there's differences, like you can find a sort of outcome, but there's a million conversations where it instantly ends at, well, I'm offended and I don't agree. And therefore this conversation is over. I also, so my point, and I, I might be repeating myself, my point was if, if again, in an ideal world, um, if we were clear on, you know, what we expect of, uh, of our rules, and again, that requires that we agree amongst ourselves, uh, but then if one of them didn't, was being ineffective at accomplishing, you know, the, the goal, we wouldn't be afraid of criticizing them because uh, we'd know that we'd be able to find someone else who, you know, might be a better a better leader to accomplish that goal. Yeah. Whereas now you're defending someone who you don't even know, who doesn't have your own interests in mind because you're afraid of someone worse right. showing up. So is our downfall as a society the inability to openly criticize? Ooh, that's a good question. I would I would say our downfall is uh, you know people not being able to, to argue or to disagree, um, but not even disagree, but specifically argue their points in a rational way. Uh, because once you start to kind of uh, obsess about rationality, it allows you to then say like, all right, I was wrong on this issue mm -hmm. or I recognize the value of, of your issue. Let me find, uh, you know, the true reason why I disagree with it. Yeah. So there's a huge lack of humility as well. You know, there's definitely the personality types out there that will be wrong, but then double down on that error just because pride is more powerful in them than humility is. Well, there was a, there's a book written uh, just over 500 years ago called Utopia. <laughs> And, you know, on this wonderful island uh, called No Place, um, the, the people there have passed the rule that when something is proposed kind of in the political sphere, you're not allowed to pronounce your opinion on it uh, until the following day. And the reason behind that isn't, you know, to censor people or to prevent freedom of speech, but it's more because they've realized that people will say something uh -huh. and then go to their death uh, defending that, even though they don't actually disagree with their initial, they don't actually agree with their initial uh, thought. Was it the idea that like, you know, let's say, they, okay, we'll sleep on it. Sure. Yeah. That's a much better way. Or like, if you want to get a tattoo, don't book it for that afternoon. Like give yourself a couple weeks. Uh, yeah, you can apply it to the personal. <laughs> I mean, I, I would agree with that because, uh, but you'd have to ask people who have tattoos, like, do they actually think that's a good, uh, approach? I mean, I have a giant King Kong tattooed on my upper thigh and no regrets. Okay. Yet, yet. It's only been a couple of years, but maybe regrets later on. So did you want to talk about a, maybe your first reactions when the news broke, how you felt? I, I felt very floaty. Like, oh, I'm reading about this, I'm hearing about this, it's not real. Because in my little bubble that I experienced life through, uh, it hasn't affected me yet. I mean, I, I, I'm sure it will. Yeah, I think, um, I think I was even more floaty, if you will, than you. I was, uh, you know, um, discouraged and uh, disengaged. I, like, the, the, re the news I read is full of people dying all over the world. Uh, and I don't know why I keep reading it. Um, but so then when you hear about an invasion... I feel completely powerless mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if any of my actions will have any influence. Yeah. Actually, to that point of, uh, of I don't know why I keep reading it. I, I always wondered that because there was a time in my life where I was reading the news every single day and I was quite uh, de not depressed, but like, I guess on the spectrum. Uh, and, and people would say, Hey, well, why don't you just turn off the news? Like, you know, a long time ago, I, this is back when the news was delivered to your house. Like I had a figure in my life say, Oh, you know, I stopped getting the news delivered to my house and I've been happier since. And that always brings up that sort of like ignorance is bliss. And when I was younger, I was like, I would rather be, uh, informed, realistic and unhappy than ignorant and blissful. 
And that was a weird sort of like adolescent reaction to people being like, hey, you know what, turn it off. It doesn't affect you. Like you can only control what's now. And maybe there was a lot of wisdom in what they were saying. That I often, you know, try to engage with people who don't read the news very often um, and aren't, I guess, politically uh, inclined or interested uh, because I feel like if we could just get more people to follow politics, uh, we'd get the mass uh, movements that we, that we need. Do you think that's really the solution to everything, is getting more people engaged in, in politics? I don't think it's the solution, but I think strategically uh, there's probably efforts, like the, the way the news is presented, it is overwhelming. It does kind of seem like a loop uh, where there's no, like, I, and I remember especially when I was, uh, young and think trying to figure out what I wanted to study. I was like, all right, politics is just too complicated. And then, you know, some years later, I was like, ah, I probably should have gone and, and studied politics. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone. If I agree that yes, we do need to make <laughs> we do need to make good news well known. But um, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't criticize it to that extent. I'd say like. The point of news is to criticize, you know, injustices. It's it's to share information and specifically about the things that are so important uh, that we get outraged. And when I when I do read the news about you know death and destruction all around the world every day, um, I I feel powerless. And perhaps people will show up and be like, oh, you're not powerless. You should act on that. And that's definitely a some a conversation to be had. But my my response has been to really focus on the um, on figuring out if I am contributing to this harm in any way. Do you think that you're that you're able to identify the bias in news? Because I think that's another problem. Everything is very confusing. It leads back to the us versus them, to divisions, pick a side, red or blue, Russia or Ukraine, all of these issues, vax or not vax is another recent one, um, for or anything, almost any movement. Uh, and do you think that like when you're reading the news, you know, I've had to, I've had to stop getting my news from certain sources because the bias became too overt. Um, but in other things, I try to be like, okay, what is kind of the incentive in this agency into why they're using this or what their headline is? You have to be careful of that as well because there's definitely like internet trolls and sort of propaganda that happens. Uh, but do you feel that like in your news sources, you're able to have like an objective enough kind of view on it? I actually think that bias um, isn't necessarily a problem. Okay. Uh, but I'd say so that like bias really means like where what's most important to you, what you value. And I would say that, like, I look for news that has the same bias as me. I'm... I feel like bias is also, like, trying to influence the way you should think about that. Like, I think there was a ton of bias in, like, ostracizing anti-vaxxers. Yeah, it was, well, I mean, there, there was definitely a negative uh, or a way to, to report information or to propagate information that is destructive, that doesn't help you advance anything. And it's basically uh, saying, like, your side has to win and dismiss everything that others are saying. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it, it, like in, in the best of cases, I want my news to tell me, you know, who is responsible for things. And in disputes, it can often be unclear. Uh, you know, there are there are multiple sides to the story. But if you look at history I'm here, I'm going to say working people, people who don't have uh, lots of money or lots of uh, power in different ways are the ones who, who are the most taken advantage of or just simply are the least powerful. That, that would be what I'm specifically getting at. Yeah, I do find there's like, it comes back to that sensationalism, which will probably lead to like depression for a lot of people. I know a ton of people were super depressed during COVID, you know, and the news was like, here are cases, here are numbers, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. And like, it's the classic, like you bring up, okay, why is everything so bleak? And you'll hear the answer, well, good news doesn't sell. And that's also a super bleak answer. I remember being on Yahoo News and I saw a separate tab for good news. And I was like, we really have to separate the good news. Hey, like you have to search for the good news. I, there's so many like great organizations everywhere doing really good things, but you have to look for it. But what you're forgetting is if I make a hundred million, I had to create a lot of jobs to make that money. That's the point. The way the capitalist is making money. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the bias in the news. I do feel that like sometimes the the sort of incentives of whoever the news source presenting these stories, uh, sometimes they shine through very brightly in the way they'll present something. But I think when something as grave as what's currently happening with the invasion and, and I, I tend 
to go, I try to go on both sides. I've been skipping, I mean, I know I've been talking about the New York Times quite a bit, but I've been trying to skip these sort of like major posts where you're like, oh, this whole thing is funded by, you know, the Murdoch family or whatever with definite goals behind those kind of things. What bothers me is when there's there tends to be an influence on like how to think. And so there's definitely manipulative tactics, whether it's something as simple as the music or the way they're presenting it. Things being inflated or when there's like, I, I've been hearing like radio ads for getting a third dose and stuff. And it just seems very, whether you're for or against, just this sort of like manipulative push bothers me mm-hmm. personally. I haven't seen as much with the invasion. Like, um, like yes, I mean, obviously the world, and we live in the West, like obviously the world's going to react like pro-Ukraine because it, it is an attack on human freedom. It is it is an invasion that was unprovoked. You know? And then obviously if you're going to talk to people on the other side, and, and it shocks me that there's sides when it comes to the Russia-Ukraine thing, uh, but they might find their reasons for, for justifying such an attack. Uh, but I guess like when I'm reading the sources, it would be like, okay, what happened? Just give the full picture of what happened and less on like trying to sway how I should feel about that. Like leave that for cinema. Well, I have to agree just about the, the manipulative uh, methods, like so, especially if they're promoting a third dose of the vaccine, you know, it'll start off with some comforting piano and then right. like end off with this heroic, like, yeah, we're all getting our dose. Yeah. Um, but w- with, with an issue like the invasion of Ukraine, um, there's so many kind of historical, recent and, and past uh, points to to talk about that inevitably they're going to end up analyzing it and synthesizing it and, and suggesting this is the reason behind it. This is uh, what went wrong and this is how it could be right. And that will be recognized as a as a bias. I yeah. mean, and it's only it's only a negative bias if it's something you disagree with. Possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I guess like it is fair for, you know, news reporters to kind of go in with the assumption that we know very little on the topic because it is such a distant event that, that I mean, I didn't know very much about it at all until it started happening. And I didn't really understand what life inside Russia was like or what that perspective was like until I started watching those documentaries. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess in one case you are there to educate, to inform, especially for a lot of people that might not necessarily look deeper than the headline but i definitely do think there is a responsibility that comes with these people providing the information to try to keep it as objective as possible uh trying you know it's like the old things it's like back with the uh the afghanistan wars and stuff like if you read the paper in the u.s the heroes are the u.s army and if you read the paper over there the heroes are you know the victims or 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 the 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 freedom fighters on the other side yeah so that's a really good point i think I like. I wish we could live in a world where you read something from a paper that you totally disagree with, and you have a, a good enough understanding of the way the world works and how power works mm-hmm. uh, to to read it and to be like, all right, here is you know the faults in their in their analysis. Here's the bias that uh, is is a is a negative bias if you are an inaccurate bias. Uh, but instead, what we have is like you don't want to read it because the more you read it, the like tighter your chest gets, and you're worried like other people out there are going to believe this, mm-hmm. which I guess is the case. the The outcome should be to encourage dialogue because that will help us uh, kind of recognize our biases and figure out which ones are justified. And would that be a good first step to making a like you're an optimist? N- no, and I, I I reject this idea of like optimist and negative. I think I'm heavily favorable of of bringing solutions to all the world's to, to all the world's problems and if if we go down uh, still thinking solutions are necessary uh, that'll be better than going down kind of just in not even despair but in in blissful celebration yeah. or acceptance of the way the world is falling yeah. apart no that's a very good a good view on it i find that it's so important to try to get that bigger perspective you know i'm a huge fan of of people traveling just to like get it and i know that's so cliche but like just to try to broaden your scope as much as possible. I watched another documentary. It was about the rise of China, and it was a few days before the invasion. And actually, I find that's a very interesting topic because when watching these documentaries, uh, China and Russia seem to have very similar goals, and yet they're going to support each other. So I think it was this morning in the UN, there was some agreements, I can't remember, and the only one that voted against it was obviously Russia and China, and then a couple other small countries. But it's interesting because I, I find the relationship between China and Russia to be similar to that in Squid Game of like the big team where it's like, hey, we're going to be on the same team just because we both need to survive, but I don't really like you, nor do you like me. Whereas I find like in the West, there might be a little bit more than just like, oh, we're 
you know, you're gonna give us the greatest advantage to succeed because I think there is more of a shared culture. Like if you go to Berlin or something, the the way of life is identifiable. And so I think there's a little bit more than just like pure politics. I think just like, you know, culture and the way we live our lives on like a lower level is much more similar. Just China and Russia have a very awkward sort of relationship where they both have like this kind of dictator ideologically and opposed to the West. Um, and so naturally that's going to put them on the same side, but then it's like, oh, is it really just two sides to every issue or are there three or is there like a weird kind of middle ground that China kind of takes place? And so I find it kind of curious because like Russia and China seem to have this sort of like, oh, global domination future vision. But at some point, let's say both were to succeed. Well, at which point do you deal with one another? And then that would be a very uh, terrifying and fascinating conflict. See, I know this is a bit of a stretch, but when you listen to you say that, I'm thinking you're making the case for one world government. Uh, it's a few steps away, but like when we talk about Russia and China, again, uh, the citizens, they don't have the same necessarily understanding or, or goals. Their goals are really to, to live con lives as they see fit. I, I feel so silly every time I say one world government, but like thinking in terms of like, what would the best case scenario be? It'd be one where uh, Russia eventually ends up uh, democratic, but also the country's goals are served by, I guess, being less hostile to the West. But like, if we're fighting for democracy, and I do think that Russia does feel threatened because, and actually I, you had mentioned this earlier, but uh, with the Georgia issue, it's because Russia was really backing up one of their candidates that fell in line with sort of Russia's ideology or political view. Uh, and the U.S. was backing another, and it's the U.S. one that ended up winning that. And so Putin saw that as a huge embarrassment. Ukraine had actually asked, I think this morning, for acceptance into the EU, which Russia is not going to be stoked about at all. And so I do think they see themselves kind of surrounded by this totally other worldview. And here we are. We live more or less well, the vast majority of sort of these Western countries, that I think it's easy to say, oh, well, democracy is the reason for it. But there is a lot of corruption in our democratic systems as well. And, and the shades of democracy tends to change between nations. I want to start by giving what may be to many of you a new definition of the word myth. And I find it kind of an interesting sort of like parent viewpoint when you say, uh, oh, like we like we want to save these people with democracy or like this, like, you know, we know what's best for you. There's so many problems with that. Like, you know, things are getting very serious. But to go in and be like, hey, our reason for this is to make your nation democratic because that's what's best for you. I don't think that's the best approach either. Yeah, but I want to say two things on that. One, give an example of where that um, had a horrific result is in Iraq, uh, where you have kind of um, factional... But there was other things at play in that, like with the oil-heavy resources. Yeah, and I'm, resources. I'm not saying that like that any part of that was good, but I, I'm just pointing out that like it was like, all right, well, at least they'll get democracy. And meanwhile, you have, uh, you have factional fighting and so many people have died. It's something, it's like, it's one of these things that if you could go back in a time machine, uh, that would be one of the things to, to make sure to prevent. your concern your like concern about being paternalistic and uh, I guess evangelizing and whatever and promoting democracy around the world is that concern greater than your recognition that like people's rights are infringed upon like we had a whole bunch of truckers uh, bring auto to a stop because they were tired of I guess va vaccine mandates and masks uh, meanwhile you've got a country of Russians you know a hundred and something million people who do not have a democratic uh, pursuit yeah. Uh, in whether it's, I mean, I don't know at the municipal level, but I feel like at all levels of government. I don't know which one's more important. I, th I think it just kind of comes down to like having your sort of choice be made for you. Like I have just as much of an issue of like people protesting in Russia for a better way of life or for their voice to be heard at the political level because that's very important on their on their personal spectrum of values and of personal freedoms. And then you're going to have the same thing with truckers who are like, well, we don't want to get vaccinated. So why are you taking our jobs away of being able to like, you know, bring cargo to the U.S. and back again? So it's a choice that's being made for them and they're going to feel threatened about that. So I think at the very base primal level, maybe they're similar in that. Which one's more important is super hard to say, I think anyone who has an answer for that would have been influenced or kind of biased by, 
I mean, that, like, you could argue both sides so clearly. It, it almost sounds like we're, we're discussing, you know, an invasion of Russia, but we have to remind ourselves this is the other way around. Um, but I, I think it, like, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. Yeah, and, and, and call it paternalistic, this worry about, like, even just the idea of promoting democracy, uh, because really what you're promoting is, is people's freedom of expression and, and their power to, to have, yeah, the power to have your expression kind of yield a result. So if, if we're on any extent going to defend democracy in Canada, it would be silly to then be reserved about defending it elsewhere. Unless there are situations where, you know what, like given the dynamic, uh, having democracy is going to yield some some terrible outcome, which is often the case. I, I don't know. I feel like the definition of democracy or like the way we act on it has definitely been watered down like if you look at it it's like oh we're a democratic nation but the leader gets elected with 33 percent the whole system of writings makes it that your voice isn't going to be heard based off where you live in which is actually an interesting point when it comes down to community living and maybe like starting to implement change at that level but yeah like our democracy and the u.s democracy is so different yet they're both under the umbrella of democracy so to say to go into a nation and be like hey you guys get freedom of expression and freedom of choice at your like at your government management level, like I don't think that's entirely true because we aren't the best examples of democracy either. And I, I agree wholeheartedly, and I think you're actually making the case that we should improve things here, not just as an example for the rest of the world, but just for ourselves in the first place. The issue, so you mentioned how like our, our electoral system, the first past the post, means that in every riding a plurality, uh, the plurality will elect the candidate, and typically in many ridings, a majority of people uh, their voices are, are ignored. I've heard that discussed as kind of republics versus democracies, where in a republic, you know, it's, it's about agreeing to have a representative. And I think you, there have probably been many podcast episodes about uh, the benefits and, and the, the ways to implement proportional representation. I went on a tangent when I brought China in earlier, but I, I want to talk because in that documentary, I, I briefly talked about travel and opening your perception. And there's this documentary about China, but it's done by the Australians. And it's brilliant because at one point you have two Australian winemakers and they're flying in these little kind of biplanes looking over their crops. Or I guess they're, yeah, farmers maybe. Uh, but just a different sense in perception when you're like flying above everything. And I know there's like old Stanley Kubrick films about war and the camera goes up and we just look at the birds going across. And some of the images I saw, the bombings in Kyiv, uh, I, I noticed birds kind of flying in front of the camera. And I find that really interesting just on a kind of world level that we have all of these issues. Here we are on the computer madly typing away, like sharing our opinions, creating opinions. But if you take a real step back on like, what are we doing with our time here? I'd say that that, that uh, I don't even know what, what to label it, but that view of, uh, of us living you know, in the immensity of, of the universe is a good place to start. Do you want to also cite the two documentaries? What are they called? One on China, one on Russia? Uh, yeah, so the documentaries uh, I kind of referred to was uh, Inside Putin's Russia, which was by PBS NewsHour, China Rising Part 1 and 2, which is by Sky News Australia. The third documentary, Putin the New Tsar. Also the film Belfast, Munich, The Edge of War. Thank you for joining um, John Adams' podcast. Spilka and Merit podcast. Uh, this is a lot of fun. We'll see if it comes off as a test. It's an absolute pleasure to turn our dinner conversation into a recorded one. And thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate all your uh, support. Oh.